Happy Sabbath, church family. Before I go on, uh, I know and I recognize that there may be a few graduates that we have overlooked, and um, we hope to be able to recognize you perhaps at a future date. Uh, please let us know of the significant milestones that you've achieved so we can uh, be grateful to God uh, and express our admiration for your accomplishments. <clears throat> By all accounts, my father was a good man. At least that's what I've been told. I was born the third son in a family uh, of a pastor. And by all accounts, my dad was a good man. He was well-liked, uh, respected in his community. Uh, in the city which where we lived, there was a conference office, and my dad uh, rose through the ranks a little bit. And before long, he wasn't just a pastor of a local church. He had a position in the conference. And, and by all accounts, he was a good man. The problem is... I didn't really know him. See, he died when I was 10. This you know, I, I've mentioned and shared the story with you. And I have very few memories of him from my childhood. There are some images in my head that I remember and, and a few exchanges, but to be honest, I don't remember too much. I remember the day he baptized me and I'll cherish that forever. But the truth is, for most of the time of my childhood, my dad was usually not home. Like perhaps some of your fathers, he worked a lot. Being a pastor and a conference official meant that he traveled a lot. Sometimes he was gone from Monday to Friday and would return home just in time to prepare for a sermon for the next day. There was a period in my life during my ninth and 10th year where uh, my father worked in a different city where we lived. And I actually didn't see him very much at all. He would leave Sunday mornings, go work in a different city, and then he would return, like I said, late Friday night and, and get ready for a sermon. Uh, I, I didn't get to know him very well as I got older. And to be honest with you, in these last few days, as I've been thinking about and preparing for today's sermon, it's been haunting me a little bit that I did not know my father as well as I wish I could have. I don't know if my story is similar to yours. Maybe you and your dad are close. Maybe you and your father have a strong relationship. Or maybe you don't. Maybe in some ways you're like me. Maybe there's an absent father figure in your life. Or maybe there's a father you just didn't know him. See, I've been wondering what my dad would think of me today. As everyone prepares to celebrate Father's Day, as we make plans, hopefully you, you've made plans, and if you didn't, it's okay. Dads are pretty cool. Uh, we're pretty laid back. Just let us go play soccer, right, H? And then we'll be happy. Um, as we prepare around, as I've, I've gone to the stores, they have Father's Day displays, cards are available, plans are being made. I've been thinking about honoring my father, but, but to be honest, the question in my heart this last week has been, what would my father think of me? What would his opinion of me be? I've been wondering that. I've been wondering that because I've been reading in my text in preparation for today, and that's the question that kind of haunts me. What would my dad say about me? Uh, my biological father passed away when I was 10. I have an adoptive father, and he's a good man, but he's very different from my biological father. They're completely different. 
I know my adopted father loves me. Uh, we have a good relationship. Not that particularly close, but we have a good relationship. But I've been curious. What would my, what would my dad, what would my papa think of me? And what has caused me to uh, pause in this reflection is a story that I, that, that I want to share with you today. It's found in the book of Luke, chapter 15. If you would please open your Bibles to the book of Luke. Because <clears throat> we come to God's house, to God's house, to read God's word. And, and today we're going to read in Luke, chapter 15. It's a very familiar story. In fact, one of the most famous stories of the Bible. And you will find it familiar. Uh, because this is a story that transcends uh, the biblical narrative. In fact, the words and the story and, and um, <clears throat> some of the characters are embedded in popular culture. You'll figure it out in just a moment. We're in chapter 15, the book of Luke, and I'll read beginning with verse 11, and I want you to follow along with me as best you can. This is Luke chapter 15, verse 11, and this is what it says. Jesus continued, there once was a man who had two sons. You may already recognize the story, but if you don't, let me just uh, <clears throat> paint a little bit of the picture around it. Jesus is telling a series of stories, of which this is the third in the line of stories. If you read the rest of the chapter, Jesus has been trying to explain the heart of God. He's been trying to explain the nature and the character of God, and he's using parables. That's Jesus' way of explaining um, eternal and complicated concepts in a simple and accessible way. And so far, he has told two stories, uh, the parable of the lost sheep, which you'll recognize also, and the parable of the lost coin. And then we get to this one, which if your Bible has subtitles, uh, mine says the parable of the, of the lost son, or in yours, it might say the parable of the prodigal son. See, that phrase, that expression, the prodigal son, is an expression that transcends the biblical narrative and religious conversations. It's in popular culture. People know what it means to be a prodigal. People talk about what it means to be a prodigal. Someone who leaves, goes far away, maybe uh, joins a different team, I don't know, and then returns, and they call him the prodigal has returned. Prodigal son or the prodigal daughter. So that concept, that idea is familiar because this is one of the most well-known parables and stories in the Bible. And I just want you to track with me for just a little bit today and on our Father's Day and as we reflect on our own dads, what this story has to say about this particular father. The Bible says there once was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Like I said, a familiar story. You've probably heard it before. Uh, and uh, as I was preparing for this, I listened to my own sermon on this text from like four years ago. I know you won't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's on the website, by the way. We have a really cool website. You should check it out. There's like seven years worth of sermons in there. If you're ever desperate, I know how you are. You're in the week. You're like, I need a sermon. You can go there. I know. I know that's not what you do, but maybe you might want to think about it. You can go there. There's like seven years worth of sermons. You can, if you need a little pick me up, a little boost. And I listened to my own sermon from about four years ago when we, when we studied this particular chapter and this particular story. And what I did then is what pastors normally do. But today I want to do something. I want to draw your attention to something slightly different. See, when we talk about the prodigal son and the parable of the prodigal son, we usually focus on the son, the prodigal. And it's for a good reason, because Jesus tells a compelling story about someone that in some way or another we can identify with. Here's the story. Jesus says, father, two sons. The younger son says to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. Four years ago, I said, a son that goes up and says, dad, give me my money is a son that probably is not going to be well liked in that home, right? I mean... Any fathers out there, how do you like it when you get hit up for money? Dads, come on. 
Uh, do, you, do you open the wallet uh, willingly? Uh, do you hand out generously? Or do you ask lots of questions? Or if you're like me, you say, go ask your mother. <laughs> But this son wasn't just asking for change or give me a few dollars. This son was asking for something more. The Bible says in Jesus' story that he came and asked for his share of the estate. Of the estate. And what the estate means, it represents the entire father's possessions, all of that he owned. And in Jesus' story, the younger son, these are all important uh, pieces of the story. The younger son goes to his father and says, give me my share of the estate. If you were a person in the audience, you would have recognized the request and you would have made some quick uh, uh, decisions about how this was supposed to shape up. For one, you would have right away decided that the younger son asking for his share of the estate was a little bit disrespectful. See, in their culture, the oldest son is giving the birthright. As I mentioned this morning, if you are a firstborn child in your family, you probably said amen to that. Come on. You're a firstborn. There are certain things that you know about yourself. You've been given certain rights and privileges by being the first one to come down the hatch, right? You're the, you're the first one here. You got all mommy and daddy's attention for, the, I don't know, for the, for the first year or how many months you were alive before the rest came. You didn't have to share a room. That crib was probably yours first. Right? Even if it was a hand-me-down, it was yours first in the house. You have dibs. You have dibs on all kinds of stuff. And with those dibs comes a certain amount of privileges, but also responsibilities. Because if you're a firstborn son or daughter, chances are you've been asked at some point or another to take care of the, the younger siblings. You with me? Right? If you're an older son, you're like, oh, this is the part where you roll your eyes. Right? Because invariably, your mom's dad say, okay, get your sister, get your brother. Where's your sister? Where's your brother? What are they doing? Go find them. Go feed them. Go do this. Go change the diaper. And you're like, ah. You with me? Along with those responsibilities, there were some privileges. You do get to tell your little siblings what to do, right? Because you're the oldest. You get to go, because I said so. You're not the boss of me. Yeah, but I'm your older brother. In fact, in my wife's culture, there's a, there's, there's a word. It's called kuya for brother and ate for sister. And if you're an older sibling, they have to address you in this way. They can't just call you, you know, uh, Stevan. They have to call you kuya Stevan. It's like a, 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 a symbol. And, and when you're young, in their culture, uh, this is the rights and privileges. So if you're an older sibling, you could demand to be addressed in this way. Can you believe that? That's, that's so cool. You could demand and say, shh, shh, shh. you better call me Kuya. That's what, that's what you do. There's a sign of respect. Uh, in fact, a lot of Asian cultures have uh, a practice similar to this. Uh, and if you're a firstborn, there are certain rights and privileges that are afforded to you. But in their culture, it was uh, even, even greater. See, in their culture, the firstborn would get to inherit the bulk of the estate. It was their birthright. It was their privilege. And if the father had decided to divide up the, the, the estate, he would have given, in this case, amongst the two sons, the oldest son would get a double portion of the estate. Biblical scholars tell us that if the father divided it right, the, the younger son would get a third, and the older son would get at least two-thirds. That's if he decided to be that gracious. In the Old Testament uh, history, the birthright was solely the firstborn. If you were second, even by a few seconds, you got nothing. You got nothing. Chances are, if you're firstborn in your family, you can identify with the disrespect of the younger son coming in and asking for their share, right? Because aren't baby brothers and baby sisters just brats to begin with, right? You with me? 
I mean, I've been accused. I'm third in my family, and I've been accused of brat, being a brat all my life. If you see my brother today, by the way, he's coming to visit. He'll tell you. It's true. It's true. He was a brat. Uh, uh, that's just what older brothers think. That's what they say. I say we... Uh, there are certain rights and privileges afforded to us too, right? Um, any any younger younger siblings here? The youngest? Are you the last born? Right? Look, I say, I say, there are certain things that we have to endure, so there's certain compensation that's due, right? You with me? You with me? Come on, somebody. Somebody. Look, look. Look, if you're a third born, in fact, if you're a third son in the family, here's the deal. Whatever I'm wearing has been worn out at least twice. <laughs> right? Right? That's not even counting the cousins that it came from before it got to my older brother, then to the middle brother, and then to me. So, so, so if I'm going to have to endure some of these situations, I figure there's some privileges that should come my way too. For example, you know, I got held a little bit more by mom. Yeah? You with me? Yeah? I got caught a little bit. Uh, my mom wanted me to be a girl, so that may explain it. Um, and so she, you know, she, she brushed my hair and... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's the case in your family. But, but, but I figured if I get a little extra love for moms because I earned it wearing those, you know, twice, three times worn pants. Um, that's not my crib. That's my brother's crib. And, and do you know that older siblings let younger siblings know? I've seen this in my own family. When the new baby's born, they put him in the crib. The older sibling comes and they just put a hand on that. And they look him over and you're like, you know, I slept there first. <laughs> right? Right? takes a while. It takes a while before they start to share with joy, but for a while, as you know, that was mine first. Yeah, I used to have that. I remember. I remember sleeping in there, but you can have it. You can have it. And you're a younger son. You're like, ah, oh, I get your hand-me-downs, right? Hand-me-downs. But it's just the way of the world. It's just the way of the world. And in our story, the younger son should know his place. So when Jesus says that the younger son comes and asks for a share of the estate, that puts everyone in the audience on alert. And right away, they make a few judgments about the son. Maybe the same way people in your family make judgments about you if you're the youngest. They go, hmm, typical, right? Younger son, entitled little brat, always wanting what he's not due. Mm, typical. Certainly people in the audience were listening to Jesus' story and they go, Pfft. Certainly they were saying, not a good idea. And Jesus says in his story that the father divided his property between them. Right there, if you had been sitting in the audience, and if you know the rest of, of, of the context, there are people that Jesus is trying to reach. And most of these people have preconceived ideas about who God is and about the way God values people and God values things. And as they're listening to the story, they just can't help themselves but start shaking their head. And as, as just the story's beginning, they're already making judgments. They're thinking, what a disrespectful younger son. And they're also thinking, what a foolish father. They're probably thinking to themselves, much like you would, I would never give up my estate. Because if you didn't catch that, the father wasn't dead yet before the son asked for the inheritance. And I would never give up everything that I've worked so hard for, for some foolish brat of a son who asks for his share of the estate. Theologians believe that this father and Jesus' telling of the story divides the property equally. 
something he didn't have to do and was under no obligation to do, but he does. And the Bible says here, Jesus says not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country. You know the story. Set off for a distant country and there he squandered all his wealth and wild living, or in your version might say riotous living, which I like better. And as Jesus is telling the story, you can sort of see some of the dads in the audience like you would be today saying, yep, you could see that one coming. A young, foolish, disrespectful son who, 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 who comes and asks for his money and the father gives in the tal palo tal astilla. Have you heard that one? Do you know what that means? An apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So they're like, foolish father, foolish son. People are making all sorts of judgments about the story Jesus is trying to tell. And they're certainly shaking their, their, their finger and their heads and saying, this isn't going to end well. And Jesus says, not long after, the younger son gets all he had and he takes off and he squandered, important word, he squandered everything that he had on riotous living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. But he wanted to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. I know I'm telling that fast because you already know how the story goes. But what I want you to capture here is as Jesus is unpacking the story, everyone in the audience thinks they know what's going on. They're making assumptions and, and coming to conclusions about what Jesus is trying to say. And, and the most significant one they're making is that the son gets what he deserves. Think about it. A bratty son who disrespectfully asks for more than what he shares. And then he goes off and spends it. Eventually ends up feeding pigs and the pigs won't share with him. And everyone in the audience goes... See, there's a thing in our human nature that demands that justice be fulfilled. It's why every uh, TV show that you watch or, or every movie or every story or play that you've been to has sort of like the, uh, the hero and the villain. You with me? All right. Pick your favorite one. There's a hero and the villain. And after the conflict is settled, when the matter is settled, the villain can't ha live happily ever after. The villain must be dealt with and there must be justice. You with me? Pick your favorite. I don't care. Uh, usually, the worse the villain is the more he or she has to suffer before the story is over for you to be satisfied. When, when, when producers make movies and they show uh, to test audiences, if the villain has been very evil and they get off easy, the audience doesn't like the movie. Even if the hero wins, they want justice to prevail. And, and there's something unique that happens inside of your heart when you see that villain finally get their, their due. There's a certain satisfaction that comes to you when, you when someone gets what they deserve. There's, there's something inside of you that silently cheers when Darth Vader finally goes down. There's something inside of you that applauds when the villain finally gets to suffer. It's our sense, our human sense of righteousness. And as Jesus is telling a story, and he says there's a son, and he does this foolish thing, and he ends up in the pig's bin, the people are thinking, you got what he deserved. I told you so. Or in Spanish, my favorite is, ya ves? You ever heard that one? I'm going to teach it to you so you can use it today after church. It's very simple. The first word is Y-A, ya. Can you say ya? Ya. And the last word is V-E-Z, ves? It means, it means you see, 
Okay? So here's how you do it. I'm going to just tell you, dad tricks. Here's how you do it. You see your son or daughter or friend, co-worker, husband, wife, I don't care, whoever. Um, and you see them doing something that could turn out negatively. Doesn't have to, but could. And you throw it in there. You, 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 you lay down something that's going to bloom later. You go like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. That's a good one. Or you can say, uh, I don't think that's a good idea. Or you might just use the, mm. Okay, any one of those works really well. See, any one of those works really well. Because when they continue, whatever it is, uh, you know, whatever course of action they're in, when it doesn't turn out well, you can say, Yaves. That's how you do it, right? Which means, I mean, your parents probably did it to you. I mean, they did it to me. Uh, I was telling first service uh, this week in particular, uh, we were here on the campus helping. My kids were here, and my son and his friends were running around in the lobby. And I told my son, because, you know, not like a father instinct, I, I said, Mijo, no running, stop running which stops them for a second and before they, you know how kids are, they keep going. But, right, I said, no, no running. Now, I didn't hold them. I didn't, you know, put clamps on the street. I said, no running. And, and sure enough, not making this up, just a few minutes later, as, as I was in the lobby there, I hear him running, and then he went flying, and he, and he was wearing shorts, real short shorts, by the way, and he, um, and he landed on the carpet. And I don't know if you've ever tripped on carpet, and you land... Yes, a rug burn. Well, I, when he went flying, there was a moment of silence where I look, every father looks and he wonders, what should I do, right? Dads, you're with me, right? You're like, should I go like, oh, or should you go? But what comes up inside of you is, ya ves? Right? That's what inside of you, that, that thing, is, it's like a well, you know, like a self-propelling well, and it wants to come out of your mouth, and you lower your gaze, and you, English, Spanish, or whatever language you go, you see, I told you so. That's what you get when you don't listen to your dad. You see? You see? But since that sounds kind of rude, I'm teaching it to you in Spanish, which is always nicer. So the next time your son or daughter, husband, wife does whatever, and you just have to go, ya ves? And then, you know, they'll be convicted, but they can't be mad because it's Spanish. <laughs> That's what was welling up inside of me. My son tripped, and I wanted to say ya ves. Mm, but, but then he looked at me. We looked at each other, and then, and, you know, his eyes started tearing up, and he was on the floor. And, it's inside of us. There's a sort of sense of justice. If you do something wrong, you deserve what you get. And that's what people are thinking in the congregation as they're listening to Jesus. This young man spends his money. It, 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 they think it's about the son. They think it's about the son getting what he deserves. They think it's about the son finally coming to his senses because that's what Jesus says. And by the way, Jesus is so good, he's roping them all in. He's like, finally, when the son comes to his senses, literally, he uses those words. When the son finally comes to his senses, he says, how many of my father's hired hands, how many of my father's servants have food enough to spare? And yet here I am starving to death. I will set out and I I will go back to my father and I will go back to him and say, Father, I have sinned against you and I have sinned against heaven and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. And every dad in the audience was like, that's right. That's right. But if you were my son and you do this, you better come begging back to me before I let you with me. I know, I know what you're thinking because some of you were treated like that by your fathers. And every man in the congregation there is thinking, see, ya ves, that's what happens. When you're young, you're bright, you're disrespectful, and Jesus is just roping them in. 
And they think this is about the son and how every son that's out there or daughter needs to realize the foolishness of their ways and then come begging back for their forgiveness. And the son thinks it through in this Jesus story as he's spinning it and he says, and the son says, I am not worthy, not even to be your son. Just make me a servant. Make me a slave in your household because I just want to eat. And as every head in the room is saying, see, and as every head is contemplating, they're thinking that the father would respond by saying, Ya ves, I told you so. You should have listened to me in the first place. This is what you get when you disrespect me. Let this be a lesson to you. I mean, I could go on, right, friends? Familiar words you've probably heard in some shape or form. And everyone is listening and thinking, Jesus... As he's telling the story, they think this father is finally going to give his son what is due. He's probably going to make him earn his way back. You with me? He's probably going to make him go, all right, all right, all right. Since you wasted everything, now you're going to have to earn it back. Did you have one of those kind of dads? My adoptive father, whom I love, was always counting the cost of stuff. You have one of those dads? He was always counting the cost. Uh, I, I, I love Menu, but he just made me laugh sometimes. We would go out to eat. And he'd be sweat over the bill. And he'd be like, oh, how are we going to work to earn this money back? I'm like, you're no fun. Why do we even bother? I had a father who was always counting up the cost. How are we going to make this up? How are you going to pay me for this? And that's what people are thinking. What is the father going to make the son do to earn his way back? Except that Jesus is something completely different. The son runs back. Look at this, verse 20. So he got up and he goes to his father. But here, here's where I, just, just bear with me for just a few more minutes. Here Jesus says, but while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. People are leaning in, waiting for the retribution, waiting for the payoff for the wickedness of the son. But Jesus says, while the son was still far ways off, his father saw him and his heart was filled with compassion for him. See, friends, Jesus is not talking about the son. Everybody knows the son. You've been the son or the daughter. You know that story. You know how that goes. Jesus is talking about the father. And Jesus says that while the son was far off, which is where you might be today, he sees you. The father sees you. The father saw him. And his heart was filled with compassion for him. See, this is what's different about our heavenly father versus us, even I as a father. Compassion is not what identifies me, but it identifies him. He knows what you're going through. He sees you and his heart is pained for what you're suffering. It's compassion. It is not pity. The father hurts because he so wishes his son did not have to go through that. But he doesn't always spare him the pain. He doesn't always prevent the pain, but his heart breaks. And the Bible tells us in Jesus' words that the father was filled with compassion and while the son was still far off, he ran to him. I want you to picture this because what Jesus is describing here is he's describing your father, your heavenly father. I want you to picture this. I want you to picture your heavenly father running towards you because there is a father's love in his heart. 
There is no condemnation in his eyes. There is compassion. Jesus said. And the father in our story runs to the undeserving, yes, the bratty, the lost, the prodigal son. It is not the son's returning that fills the hearts with the father with compassion. It is that the father grieved for him all along. He had compassion all along. And when the father sees him, while he was still a ways off, he doesn't make him crawl home. He runs to him. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus says the father ran to him and he threw his arms around him. And in your version, it might say he buried his face in the son's neck and he kissed him. And he kissed him. See, my friends, that's the kind of father we have. That's the heart of the father. This story is less about the prodigal as it is about the father. If you read the other parables, it's about the way God reaches and searches and hunts for us wherever we are. He has never stopped seeing you. He has never stopped seeing you. His eyes always been on you. Whether you were just leaving on that journey or if you're on your way back. Whether you're today somewhere in the valley of the pigs, if your soul is empty, God sees you. His heart is filled with compassion for you. You know what, friends? I'll just be honest with you. Life is hard. Even when things are going well, it's difficult to feel like it. You with me? I'm going to invite the team to join me, and I just want to be, share an honest moment with you. This week has been difficult for me. I have every reason to be grateful to God. I have an amazing family, a wonderful church. We're doing great things. But I don't know if you can identify with this. Despite all the things that are going around around me, sometimes there's like a voice in my head that continues to undermine God's goodness. Are you with me? Like it's so difficult to be happy. I saw some friends here at church this week and they're like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. But I wasn't. I was struggling. I was praying to God. I was asking God, I see all this and, and you're doing great things, but why do I feel like I'm hurting and missing something? Do you see me? And God sent me to this verse. God sent me to this story. I've been wondering what my dad would think of me, my biological father. Would he be proud? Or would he sit in the pews and would he say, you're talking too long, you need to sit down, the sermon was way too long. Would he say, you're, you're not biblical enough or you didn't say this or that. Would he criticize me? What would my father say? I don't know. But Jesus says that my heavenly father sees me and he is filled with compassion for me. And I want to tell you, he's filled with compassion for you. Because I don't know what you're going through. This may be a season of rejoicing. You may have just achieved a milestone. Or it may be a dry season. Where by all accounts and appearances, you should be happy, but you're not. By everyone's expectations, you should be grateful and rejoicing. But inside of you, there's, a, there's, there's something that remains full of perhaps guilt, perhaps shame, perhaps hunger. Maybe you, you, you want to fill yourself with something, but no one will give you anything. And I want to tell you today, as Jesus has been telling me this week, and in particular last night, as I wrestle with him, your Father sees you. 
and his heart is filled with compassion for you. He is not unfamiliar with what you're going through. He knows what it's like to hurt. He knows what it's like to miss someone. He knows what it's like to invest and have that investment not returned. He knows what it's like to be lied to. He knows what it's like to be taken advantage of and disrespected. He knows what it's like to have a son run away. Your father sees you. And his heart is full of compassion for you. And all he really wants to do today, he's already doing. He's running to you. Arms open wide. Like the best dad. Arms open wide. And what he wants to do is something that sounds ridiculous, even as I say it. As he wants to bury his face on your neck and he wants to kiss you. He wants to embrace you and kiss you. I know it sounds weird, but that's what your father wants to do because that's who he is and that's how much he loves you. And you know what's interesting, friends? As I was wrestling with this text and God was saying this to me, he also said something more. He said, Mijo, I want you to look around your church community, your people. And I want you to recognize and understand there are many people just like you in the congregation who wish they had a father like that. There's a few lucky ones of you who had a dad who was just like that. He kissed away the boo-boos and fixed your back and was at all your games. But there's many of, many of us who didn't have that dad, who longed for that dad. And Jesus was telling me this week, I'm going to be that dad for them but I'm going to be that dad for them through you. And he wants you and me to stand in the gap for those who didn't have a father to love them this way. And he wants you and me to love them with the father's love. So I'm telling you the truth. There's somebody in this room that's dying to get a hug today. There's somebody in this room that needs to be understood. There's somebody maybe right in your pew sitting next to you or in your family that is dying for somebody to see them, to know that they matter, that they're needed, that they're loved. And God said to me, as I'm saying to you, that's why he gave us to one another, to love one next to you with a father's love. You may not be their dad. You might be their friend. You might be just somebody in the church, but, 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 but I just know and I have this sense like I was desperate this week for someone to see that I was hurting, that there are people in this room that need to be seen today, that need to be loved. And God says, I'm sending you. I'm sending you. God loves us with a heart of compassion, and he's challenging each one of us to share that same love. Do you know what Jesus does in his story when he tells about God? He says that this father embarrasses himself, makes a fool of himself, just so that he could hug his son. To, to hug a grown man and to kiss a grown man, he just makes a fool of himself because he wants the son to know how deep the love is. And God says, and he's saying to me and to you today, do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to love that person next to you, and in particular, that young person next to you with the Father's love. Have compassion. 
Life is not easy. It is just as hard for them, even more so than it was for you when you were growing up. And everyone is guilty of something. Don't, don't say, I told you so. Don't lord it over them. Just embrace them and love them with the Father's love because that is how he loves you. It's a miracle, I think of it, that when my dad died, God sent other people. I know it'd be too much to tell you, but there's some special people in my life that I want to give God glory for. One is Pastor Parks. He comes here once in a while and sits right there and he smiles at me. Pastor Parks was my chaplain in high school. And I don't know what to tell you about him except that he gave me a job and he let me drive his car. <laughs> but no one else would. And he believed in me. He trusted me. He was not my father. But he had compassion and he loved me. I have a cousin named Roger who I want to give God glory for today. He'll be here in a few weeks. Roger hired me my first summer in ministry. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but he said, come work with me, live in my house. I would take naps in the, in, in the church pews. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, but Roger believed in me. He was not my father, but he loved me. And he's, God is challenging me to be a Roger and be a Pastor Park to some of you. And he's challenging you to be like that for somebody today. And I'm just begging you. And I'm just begging you. It's a miracle. But God does run for us. God does reach out for us. God does embrace us. And then he invites us to embrace one another. In particular, church family, let's embrace those of the younger generations. Let's have compassion. Let's love with the Father's love. And when we do that, transformation will take place. Hearts will be changed. Lives will be changed. Because that's what God is up to here. It's a miracle, but we believe in a God of miracles. And we proclaim and sing to his name. Let's love with the Father's love. Would you please stand and sing with us?